dear, with an introduction like that, I don't know what in the world I'm going to say. I just forgot everything. <laughs> oh, my goodness, it's great to be able to laugh. I, I have a true story, you know, about Steve. Uh, I'm not sure if it's true, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he travels and speaks as well. This is the truth. He travels and speaks as well, right? And uh, I'm told that the other day he was in a, a church and the deacon was leading the service. And the deacon said to him before the service, now look, we're really pressed for time uh, today and you have just 20 minutes. And he said, I'll be sitting right behind you, directly behind you. And when the 20 minutes are up, I'll clear my throat and I'll cough. Steve said, okay. So I'll get to be 20 minutes and uh, you could hear this coughing in the background. Steve kept going ahead. 30 minutes, still going, and this guy is coughing and he's uh, doing everything under the sun to get Steve's attention. And 45 minutes, and then an hour, and then pretty soon, I don't know, I think it was Vaughn Vitto was sitting down in the front and threw a book at Steve, threw a hymn book at him. And Steve ducked just in time and it hit the deacon right in the head. The deacon shook himself and he said, hit me again, I can still hear him. <laughs> that, that's true, right? That's a true story. <laughs> oh dear, well, I uh, would like to just take a, a minute or two to give a little bit of a testimony as well. Steve was asking for testimonies about 2014, and of course with absolutely no reflection on Pastor Tozer, who was a good friend of mine, and no reflection on Larry Rushton, who carried on for a year, because he's a friend of mine, certainly not. But I think uh, one of the, as Steve said, one of the great blessings has been to have our pastor and his wife here, and, uh, and to see, I would, I would say we have, there's a good spirit around here. Is that a good way to say it? There's, a, there's, there's something going on, and uh, I like it. And uh, we do appreciate them and appreciate all of you folks. And I trust that we will learn. You see, the Bible says, uh, in fact, the Lord Jesus himself said, uh, people will know you're my, my disciples. They'll see what true Christianity is really like if you love one another. And uh, that has to go on in a local assembly if people are going to see who Christ really is. And I think that's happening here, and I'm so thankful for that. And I trust that we'll all do everything we can to keep that going. And then he said, of course, the two greatest commandments are that you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So it all fits, doesn't it? In fact, it fits with what we want to say tonight. If you'll turn with me, please, to First John. First uh, John, and follow with me. I'll read uh, chapter 1 and a little bit into chapter 2, the very short chapter 1. 1 John, the epistle of 1 John, chapter 1, and into uh, chapter 2. And we were talking the other night, we were together uh, in a service, and we were talking about what 1 John is really all about. And we said this, that John is not only uh, telling us how authentic Christ is, because he had a first-hand view and first-hand experience with Christ, as he followed him, this is the Apostle John, the, the disciple John, and as he followed Christ, he had a first-hand view of who Christ really was. And so, uh, remember in the first few verses, 
He said, we have seen him, we have borne witness of him, and we show you eternal life that was with the Father and was manifested unto us. We have seen and we have heard. And so he not only tells us how authentic the Lord Jesus Christ is and how we found him, but he also, and I think all the rest of the letter, what I call ten practical proofs on the authenticity of our Christianity. And to me, that is so crucial in these days. We were just talking about before the service about all of the things that are going on in our world today and all of the, uh, all of the anti-Christian things, all of those things that uh, do not fit with the word of God. And, and the world really needs to see today Christians who have an authentic Christianity, an authentic faith. Keith talked about that a little bit this morning, didn't he, when he talked about uh, Paul, talked to Timothy about his unfeigned faith. It was authentic. It was genuine. It was without hypocrisy. And that's what our faith needs to be like these days if it's going to be noticed. And I don't know about you. I, I don't want me to be noticed, but I want my faith to be noticed. I want Christ to be noticed. And the only way that people are going to see that and do that and come to Christ is to see no hypocrisy in our faith and in our Christian walk. And John, I believe, after the introduction in the first four verses of 1 John 1, gives us ten practical proofs of the genuineness of our Christianity. How do I express my Christianity? How do I live my Christianity? How are people going to see it? And what are they going to see? Well, follow with me, please, and I'll read uh, beginning at 1 John in chapter 1, and then we'll go from there. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, uh, that is speaking of Christ, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This, then, is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. And final verse 6, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. And as we said, the Apostle John is writing this good book and is instructing us really on how to live 
in these days. We'll take a look at that after we have a word of prayer. Father, thank you now for your word. Instruct us in it. Help us and guide us and strengthen us for your glory. Help us to have the kind of testimony that people would, where people would see Christ and want to become his and part of his family. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I was given a book the other day, a leisure reading type of book by a good friend of mine with all good intentions. And as I read the book, I was quite encouraged because in it was a very, very good testimony. Now, it wasn't a a book about Christianity necessarily, a doctrine or any of that. But the writer, the author and his wife both stated that they were Christians, that they loved God, uh, that they served in a, in a good church, and they went on and on like that for a while, and then he got into his story about his life. It was actually an autobiography. He got into his story about his life. And folks, I'm not trying to be sanctimonious here, but I had to put the book down, and I put it away. The language was so terrible. And I thought to myself, how can that be? Someone claims to love God, claims to be born again, claims to attend church, claims to serve God, and then writes filth like that. You see, that's what we're getting at tonight. Our lives have to be exemplary in the sense that they point people to the real Christ, that they're authentic Christian lives that show people who God really is and what he is really like and what Christianity is really like. John here is concerned about that, and uh, it, part of the reason why he write, writes this book is to expose heresy. Another part of the reason to is explain the authenticity of Christ. Another reason is to explain the genuineness and authenticity of Christianity. What does Christianity look like? And as he does that, as I said before, I believe he gives ten proofs of what the Christian life is really like. We talked about, last time we were together, we talked about the first one, and I call it the first proof of the authentic, authentic Christianity is that we walk in the light. We walk in the light. Verses 5 through 7 of chapter 1 say that very explicitly. In other words, if we say who we, if we are really who we say we are, then we will be those who will walk in the light. What is walking in the light? Well, first of all, the Lord Jesus said, I am the light. And he said, you are the lights of the world. He said, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So walking in the light and proving what real Christianity is like means simply walking with God, doing those things that that Jesus would do, not doing those things that he would not do, living in the light of the word of God as we read it and as we study it and as it tells us how we're supposed to live. That's walking in the light. Our world is dark. Our world is full of darkness. And the only thing, by the way, that dispels darkness is light. And if we are the lights of the world, then we are supposed to shine in this dark place. In fact, Matthew says, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. My dear friends, we have a responsibility to shine as lights in this dark world. I mean, it's one thing to stand around and say how dark the world is. It's another thing to go out there on Monday morning and live like a light. 
and seek to dispel that darkness. And so the first proof of who I really am as a Christian is that I do right. I don't toy with the darkness of sin. I walk in close fellowship with Christ. I imitate him. I get along with other Christians. And I do those things that are pleasing to my Father to dispel as much darkness as possible. That's the first proof that we walk in the light. We talked about that already, so let's go on to the second proof in chapter 1, verse 8, through chapter 2, and verse 2. The second proof of the authenticity of a Christianity, or is my Christianity real biblical Christianity? If I ask myself that question, John gives a second proof of that, and I wrote this down. The second proof of the authenticity of my Christianity is that I am willing to admit and repent of sin. You see what it says? If we say in verse 8, we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I need to be careful and to be faithful in admitting and repenting of my sin. This is who I'm supposed to be as someone who is willing to come before God and say, oh Lord, please forgive me. I, I, I did this and this today and and I'm not talking about necessarily coming in front of a whole big group of people and crying and weeping and, and uh, all kinds of an emotional upset and so forth. I'm not talking about that. I know that goes on. But I'm saying that as we know ways in which throughout the day that we have sinned in some way to be willing at the end of the day to come before God and say, Oh God, please forgive me. I have either grieved your Holy Spirit or I have quenched your Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4, in verse 30, it speaks about grieving the Holy Spirit, and it really means to sadden the Spirit. It means to do or say or think those things that would make the Holy Spirit grieve and sad. The other thing that we can do is quench the Spirit. According to Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, we can quench the Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit, we know, lives within us as Christians and desires to work out through us. And one of the ways in which we can sin is to quench, or literally it means to extinguish, the working and the influence of the Holy Spirit through us in front of others. And that's just exactly the opposite of what John is getting at here. He's getting at how do we prove to others that our Christianity is, is without hypocrisy, and authentic, it is by not quenching the Spirit. And yet, do we find ourselves doing those, both of those things? I don't know about you, but I've got to confess publicly that I do. Let me, let me speak with you about three or four things that I wrote down here about these verses on admitting and repenting of sin. First of all, we see here that, uh, first of all, it's foolish to say that we do not sin. It's foolish to say that we do not sin. Now, John does say, uh, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He does say, I want you to not sin. 
But you notice what he says directly after that. He said, but if we do sin, then we have an advocate with the Father. Of course it would be better if we did not sin. Of course it would be better if we could not sin. Of course it would be better if we could be perfect. But that will never happen this side of heaven. You and I know that. And guys, our wives know that too, don't they? I mean, that is impossible, isn't it? It really is. And so, part of really living for God and, 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 and proving the trueness of our Christian faith is to admit and repent of sin because it is really foolish to say that we do not sin. Look at what John says about it in verse 8. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's a fool who deceives himself. It's really easy to deceive other people. It really is, isn't it? It's easy to deceive other people. But if we're foolish enough to deceive ourselves, that's really bad. John here says, if we say that we do not sin, then we're just telling ourselves a lie. But it goes on and says, and the truth is not in us. So we not only deceive ourselves, but we actually lie and it gets worse. Look at verse 9. Uh, excuse me, in uh, verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You see how bad it gets? Not only if I say that I don't sin anymore, am I deceiving myself and lying to myself, but I am calling God a liar. How does that happen? It's because he says very, very explicitly that all have sinned and show the glory of God, that all need not only that initial washing of salvation, but that daily washing and cleansing from the word of God. That's the word of God. So we not only deceive ourselves and we lie to ourselves, but we make him a liar. And then look at what it says in the end of verse 10. And his word is not in us. We not only make him a liar, but we've misinterpreted the word of God. And so it's foolish to say that we do not sin. Secondly, here's the wonderful part of it all. Look at verse 9. You thought we were going to skip it? Let's go back to it. Secondly, not only is it foolish to say that we do not sin, but secondly, with confession comes forgiveness. Wow. Isn't that great? With confession comes forgiveness. Is there any greater, let's talk about just feelings for a minute. Is there any greater feeling than to know that you've been forgiven of something that you've done wrong? Doesn't it hurt awful when we harbor things, when we harbor things against other people or against God and just kind of hope they'll go away and hope they're not as bad as, as we really think they might be? And then to come to the realization that what we really need to do is speak to that person or speak to God and ask forgiveness of sin. And when that person or when God says, I accept your apology, I forgive you, I don't think there's any greater relief in all the world than that. And so the wonderful part of all of this is, the bad part is that we all are sinners. The bad part is that we still sin even after we're saved. The wonderful part is that with confession comes Forgiveness. And how does that happen? Well, look in verse 9. It happens because he is faithful. He is faithful. You often hear people say, 
I'm glad God is faithful even when I'm not. Well, there's some truth in that. There's there's all truth in the fact that he is faithful. But he is faithful despite all else that occurs in our lives. That's one thing that we can count on. And that is that he is faithful. So with confession comes forgiveness because he is faithful. When all else fails and when all other people fail, no matter how close friends or family they are, when all other people fail, you can bank on it that God is faithful. Secondly, you look at it in verse 9, he is just. He is just. He is totally 100%, if I can put it this way, he is fair. He is fair. He is righteous. He knows right from wrong. He knows the ins and the outs. He knows our hearts and our lives. He knows everything about us. He knows if we're genuine in our repentance and asking of forgiveness. And he will always do what is right. Boy, I love that about him. He will always do what is right. He's not only faithful, always, but he will always do what is right. He is fair and he is just. And then thirdly, with confession comes forgiveness. Thirdly, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He makes us clean. The word cleanse literally means to make clear and to purify. I don't know anybody else who can do that. Nobody else can do that. Nobody else is as faithful, nobody else is as just, and nobody else can clear me of my sin, can cleanse me, and can purify me for the new day ahead. Nobody but Jesus. So, how do I show people that the Christianity that I profess to have is good and correct and is something they they may want? How do I do that? One way is to admit and repent of my sin. It's foolish to say that we do not sin. With confession comes forgiveness. Then we are instructed to do something, or I should say not do something. Look in chapter 2 and in verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Probably it would clear that verse, clarify that verse quite a bit if we put it this way. I'm not trying to rewrite the Bible here, but let's try to make it just a little clearer. My little children, these things write I unto you that you do not practice sin. Does that make it a little clearer? That you do not practice sin. It's got to be that way because we know for sure that it's impossible not to sin. So it's got to be that we do not practice sin. And so the encouragement from John and from God is this, that we do not practice sin. You see, the Bible tells us very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, tells us very, very clearly that as the devil brings temptation our way to sin, because that's what he does, right? That's his thing. As he brings temptation our way to sin, we have opportunity and sometimes many opportunities to say no to that sin. When we sin, 
And when we fall and when we fail, it's because we have step by step said yes to the next step, to that temptation and to that sin. You can see it with King David. What's the first mistake he made or what's the first sin he made when he sinned with Bathsheba? The very first sin he made was that he was not out fighting as kings go out to war, it says in the Bible. That was his first thing he did wrong. He shouldn't have been home. The second thing is he went out on his porch in the dark and watched a woman bathing. Shouldn't have done that. But he said, yes, I'm going to do that. The third thing he shouldn't have done is sent someone to her house and say, come and live with me. The fourth thing is he sent her husband to be killed in the heat of battle so that he could have her legitimately. <laughs> you see, it was a step-by-step -step process where he continually said yes. He could have stopped the whole thing by going to war like he should have been. And see, when it comes to temptation, we have a choice. We can either say yes and keep on with the temptation until we actually sin, or we can say no at any step of the way. And so John says, do not practice sin. Say no. Say no. And then look at what he says in the end of verse 1. He said, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's an amazing word, advocate. <coughs> it actually, in the Greek, is the word parakletos. And it's the same word that John uses in other places for the Holy Spirit. And it literally means one who comes alongside of someone else and helps them, we could put it that way. It means a, a lawyer, a, an intercessor, a comforter. Someone to help, someone to come alongside and help. And so you see, when it comes to sin and when it comes to living for God, we have all kinds of assistance, if you want to put it that way. We have all kinds of assistance. We have God the Father. We have Jesus the Son who made us righteous in the first place. And we have the Holy Spirit who is our comforter and our strength and our guide. John here is talking about Jesus Christ and his role as intercessor and his comforter, and as one who comes alongside and helps in all things. Well, you know, I'm awful glad for that. Where would we be tonight if we had to fight all of this stuff on our own? Where would we be? What would life be like? How do we make it on our own? We can't do it. We can't do it. We can't fight sin. We can't show the authenticity of our Christianity. We can't live for God. We can't love one another. We can't love God without his help. Now, there's a few things here about the Lord Jesus that we need to know. A few wonderful things. Look what it says. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus Christ, the righteous. In other words... He helps us because he is perfect. And he's such a great help because he is perfect in every way. Secondly, look at what it says, and he is a propitiation for our sins. In other words, 
he not only is perfect in all his ways and is our perfect help and our perfect comforter, but he is also and has been the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Propitiation is the satisfaction of something that is wrong. And our Lord Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins, to pay the price and the pe- for the penalty for our sins, because he is the only one who could possibly do that, because he's the only one that is perfect. He is the perfect sacrifice and the perfect substitute and the perfect satisfaction for God. He took my place. He took my place. And he is the one who comes beside me as I need him, and comes beside me as I seek to live for him. And he comes beside me as I try to live an authentic Christian life. He is a propitiation for our sins. But listen to this. Look at the end of verse 2. But not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, here's the crux of the whole matter. Here's why we're talking about what we're talking about. Here's why John is writing this book is to help us reach our world for Christ. He made the provision. He paid the penalty on the cross for the sins of the whole world. Imagine the weight of the burden that he took on his shoulders and on his head as he died on that cruel cross. And he took the weight of the sins of all the world. And now you know what? hate to lay a heavy on us, <laughs> but it's our responsibility now. It's our, he, he paid the price. He did all the hard work. He made all the sacrifice. And now it's up to us as his people to let the world know about the good news of the salvation. Oh, I'm not, every, I'm not responsible for everybody. <laughs> I'm responsible for those with whom I come in contact and as I have opportunity to speak to them about the good news of salvation. Oh, yes, I really am. He took care of the sin problem. Now, I need to, by his grace and with his presence, I need to take care of the good news problem. That's our responsibility. Because he died for the sins of the whole world. Well, how do we prove to the world that what we're talking about is worthy of their consideration? How do we prove to the world that Jesus Christ is worthy of their consideration? How do we prove to the world that What we're humbly trying to do by the grace of God is just live according to the Bible and live for him and express the truth of the good news of the gospel by how we live and what we say. How do we do that? Well, John says, first of all, walk in the light. Walk in the light. Do right. Do well. Follow the scriptures. Secondly, He says, be willing to admit and confess and repent of sin. That's two of the proofs of authentic Christianity. And I need to ask myself, am I willing to at least start with those two?
There's eight more here. We'll get to them by 2028, maybe. But, but there's eight more here. Or am I willing to start with these first two? Am I doing everything by the grace of God possible to try to walk correctly and do right? And I know there's times when I'm going to fail. But what a blessing to know that if I simply admit and confess my sin, he's faithful, he's just, and he will cleanse and forgive. You see, here's the bottom line. I'm done with this. Here's the bottom line. We have such a good God who loves us so much and who loves the world so much. That I just, I just simply, and I have to remind myself every day, I just simply need to be someone who not only loves him, but is willing to give my life for him as he gave his life for me. That's what authentic Christianity really is. And that's what John is talking about here. And I trust that, uh, you know, to me, Sunday is fun. You know, Sunday is easy, right? Come here and we have a great time. Wow. It's easy. It's usually Monday that's hard. <laughs> when we get out into the world and meet people. And we need to be very careful that we're willing to do whatever it takes to live for him and to express in so many ways the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, Thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy and your blessing. We're thankful for your goodness. We're thankful that you sent your dear son, the Lord Jesus, to come to this earth, to be born, to live, to die, to rise again, to come back again. And Father, we trust that we will be those who will be faithful, that I will be faithful in living for you and serving you so that Anyone with whom I come in contact might not see me, but see the authenticity of the dear Christ who saved me. In his name we pray. Amen.